Thank you for tuning in to our message here at Catalyst Church. We're excited that you're with us. Stay tuned at the end to find out more ways that you can connect with us. We hope you enjoy the message. So, um, it's good to be back, y'all. I missed you dearly. Uh, We've never been gone this much in a row. So, we've been gone four out of the last five Sundays, which... Uh, made me wonder if y'all would still welcome me back, or you'd be like, hey, who are you? Nice to meet you. Welcome to Catalyst Church. Uh, but it's just been so good to uh, see you all. What was that? Oh, yeah, I need to fill one of these out is what Stephanie's telling me. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, but part of that, uh, we were on a family vacation. Part of that, on a, you want me to be gone three more weeks? Is that what you said, Sassy? Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. Three-week challenge. I like it. So anyway, it's good to be back, and um, we were on a family vacation at first, and then one of the Sundays I was asked to speak at Paradise Hills, which I'm going to tell you more about Paradise Hills uh, Southern Baptist Church, but, um, but we went on vacation. We had a really, really good time. But anyway, I, I uh, wanted to start this sermon by, by updating you uh, about what God has been doing, and let me tell you, God is working in our midst, and it's an exciting time to be a part of this, this church, this ministry uh, because God has answered our prayers and in a big way, um, but at the same time, he hasn't made it super easy uh, because he wants us to trust him, amen? And whenever God brings blessing into your life, a lot of times he'll, he'll do it in such a way that you can't just say, oh, I got this, God, thank you, right? He's going he's gonna to do it in such a way that you have to come back to him and say, whoa, 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 what is this? How do we do this? I can't do this on my own, and that's kind of what he's doing. So uh, let me give you an update. We've been approached by Paradise Hill Southern Baptist Church to take over their property and absorb the current congregation of 20 into our church, which is uh, pretty cool. This, this news came just recently. They asked me to come and preach there the 16th of December, which I did. That's one of the reasons I missed uh, one Sunday. And the idea was that we were going to get together to talk about whether uh, our church and theirs would combine Uh, But the conversation never happened. So I went and preached. They said, thank you. And for two weeks, I didn't hear anything about it. And so um, I started talking to people who knew the inner workings of Paradise Hills Baptist Church. One of the guys is the regional director for our denomination, and he he knows what's going on. And he said, no, I think they're going to go with another church. And then uh, our very own Jason Soto, who preaches there quite often to fill the pulpit in the absence of of a pastor, he came back and says, yeah, I heard the same thing. And so we started moving towards Lemon Grove, which is the original idea that we had thought, right? So we're like, okay, let's do this. So on vacation, Angelo is working really hard. Uh, He's in charge of this transition, so he's taking people over to Lemon Grove, and y'all are seeing it, and we're praying over it. Well, lo and behold, while I'm on vacation, I get this email from Paradise Hill Southern Baptist Church to say, hey, we really want to meet, and we want to talk about uh, what we we had talked about, this partnership. So... uh, I did meet with them, and I met with them on Monday. As soon as I got back, I got back on Sunday, met with them on Monday, and they were just very excited. And they said, we really would love to move forward with you if that's what you guys want. Can I get a verbal commitment? I mean, he was trying to, like, pin me down right then and there. I said, I got to talk to the elders. I got to talk to our church before we make any big decisions like that. And so um, in his words, the, the lead of the transition team, he said, uh, you guys are a much better fit. 
than the other church. Now, I don't know exactly what that means or how it went down, but, but all they, they just feel like the Lord brought us perhaps along as a better fit. So that brings us to today. We have two options now, okay? So we were, we were gung-ho. It was simple. We had one decision, Lemon Grove, and then God says, yeah, not, 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 don't, you know, don't count your eggs before they hatch. And so we have two options now, and um, it's a difficult decision, okay? Um, Paradise Hills, uh, some of the things that I've been thinking about and praying over, and literally I've been praying day and night for God's wisdom, because you don't just rush into something like this. You want to hear from God and what he's doing. Because just as much as God is working in any decision for our church, uh, the enemy wants to sabotage that. You all know that, right? We have an enemy. He wants to sabotage God's best for us. So I've been praying day and night. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, Lord, uh, by the way, can you, can you let us know? But anyway, here's some of the you know, pros and cons. Um, Paradise Hills is further for many of our church members. Lemon Grove is closer, more central to where most of you live. And we, in fact, in Lemon Grove, we have five families that are planted in Lemon Grove. And they're, they're not just any families. They're influential families who have ties to the entire community, uh, to a lot of schools. And so the outreach potential is just amazing in Lemon Grove. Um, on the other hand, Paradise Hills means stability for the future because it would be our building. Uh, Lemon Grove would be temporary. It would be maximum of two years, one to two years, and so we would have to move right away. Uh, Lemon Grove would mean paying rent. Paradise Hills would mean free, and so it frees up finances to be able to do more ministry and more outreach. And then Paradise Hills, on, on the hand that, you know, it's, it's, it seems like a good thing, uh, it would mean a little bit more complex leadership issues as well. Um, as there are two churches currently renting out their property, and, um, and then there's a preschool there. So it's not just easy. We, we're going to have to step up our leadership and, and make sure that we, we do things right if that's the direction that God has. All that to say, God's moving, all right? And, and I'm excited. I really am. I'm really excited because, because you could tell that God's doing something. So I'm like, okay, God, what are you going to do? Um, I believe he's given us a great opportunity to serve him in a bigger way. You know, we've been praying for more influence, for more salvations, for more baptisms. We entered this year uh, believing that God is going to use every single one of us to lead somebody to Christ. That's what I'm praying. I hope that you all get to experience that. And so he's answering. He's answering. Um, and so we need to seek him, church. And God's given me this passage today to kind of be a, a, a foundational passage for all of us as we consider what God's doing in our midst as a church. And uh, so as God's given us opportunity, I want you to understand one thing. And this, you can take it for your personal life as well as our collective lives as a church because God sees both. Do you realize that? God sees both your individual life and your little nuclear family, but he also sees our church as a whole and you as a part of a bigger body the church, and he has a will for your life. Personally, he has a will for our church and you in our church. That's why when he addresses the church of Philadelphia, which we're going to talk about, right, and the seven churches of Revelation, he, he gives them a report, a holistic report card. He says, I see that you all are doing these things well. You all are doing some things not so well. And, and what that means is that he sees a collective unity, all right, in, in that church, there was some people that were on fire for God. I'm sure there were some that weren't. 
but he gives a grade, an overall grade. Here's the culture. Here's, here's the overall vision of your church when I see it. Do you understand that? Okay. So he not only has a vision for you individually, but a vision for you collectively as Catalyst Church, and that's what I want you to pay attention to here. But here's what I, here's what I want to set out uh, for you to consider as we talk about this message. Opportunities come to everyone. Okay? Opportunities, God-ordained opportunities come to everyone, but not everyone takes advantage of those opportunities. Opportunities come to everyone, but not everyone takes advantage of those opportunities. And we see that all the time in Scripture and in our lives. Many people are given opportunities by the Lord, great opportunities, but they don't make the most of them. Rather, they squander them, right? They miss them. They misinterpret them. They sabotage them. They're fearful, so they run the other way. We have a lot of options when an opportunity comes our way. I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to miss what God is doing in our midst. And there is a danger that when we look at these opportunities that God is giving us, that you will look at it in a different way or misinterpret or undermine your role in it. And so we need to be united in our vision for what God is calling us to do. When I look back at this season, I want us to be able to say that we obeyed God's vision for our church and that we made the most of every opportunity that he presented to us. Amen? Like it says in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16, it says, Be very careful, church. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. What? Making the most of every opportunity. If you've ever wondered what it means to live a wise life, Here's part of it, making the most of every opportunity that God gives you. Because, why? The days are evil. The days are evil. In other words, there's lots of opportunities to do good in an evil culture. Amen? There's a lot of opportunities that you're going to have to share the gospel to an evil, evil culture. And so you have ample opportunities. And, by the way, we don't know how long we have. James tells us that our life is but a breath, a vapor that goes up in smoke and that's it. So limited amount of time, we have an opportunity that's, that's around us and is presenting itself, so let's do this, Catalyst Church. That's what I want to do. So the question is, how do we make the most of the opportunities that are presented to us? Today I want to look at this book of Revelation, and one of the letters that was sent to a church in Philadelphia who was given a great opportunity. In fact, this church has often been called the Church of the Open Door, uh, by theologians, because of what Jesus tells them. In, in Revelation 3.8, this is what he says. He says, see, I have set before you an open door. Jesus Christ is telling them, I've given you an opportunity. An open door always means an opportunity in the scripture. So this church has been given an opportunity by God. And as we study this church, we're going to learn how to make the most of every opportunity that God has given us. So open your Bibles to Revelation 3. And we will start there. Revelation 3 is where we're going to be. Y'all with me so far? Say amen. All right. As you're finding your place, let me give you a little background on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And it was on a Sunday like this. He was having a little church service. So you think... You have excuses for missing church. He was on an island all by himself. He still had church. Amen? So he had this little church service all by himself. 
And that's where he had an encounter with the living Christ. It says that he heard a voice behind him. He turns around, and lo and behold, it's Jesus in all his glory. John falls flat on his face because his glory is so much. And Jesus touches him. He stands back up, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you a vision of the end times, of the future of this world, and I want you to write everything down that you hear and that you see. The book of Revelation is written primarily to seven key churches in Asia Minor. And these were not the only churches in the area. They were just strategic churches that Jesus picked out by himself single-handedly because of this. These churches represent all the different types of churches and every type of issue that churches will deal with throughout the ages. So he's given us a blueprint what to do and what not to do as he speaks to these churches. So it's actually a good thing that we go to the book of Revelation and every once in a while, especially as leaders, to read what Jesus says about these churches. Because one of the things he does is he gives them a report card. He says, I am your leader. We talk about this all the time here. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen. We're just his under shepherd. And we're just serving him. What do you want to do? And so he gets to call the shots. And not only that, he gives us the report card. He says, this is what I see you doing good. This is what I see you doing bad. Just like my kids. I get the progress report every once in a while. Every once in a while, I know exactly what's on it before I even see it because my kids are like trembling, right? And every once in a while, they come in. They're like, hey, Dad, what's up? (laughs) Uh, Right? Straight A's. So Jesus gives us a report or gives them a report card. Now, he writes to these seven churches individually, and he tells them specifically, these are the things that I approve of you. These are the things that I don't approve of you. Philadelphia doesn't get a negative report. They're called the faithful church as well because all he does is he gives them a really good report. And so as we start reading Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and we're going to go, we're going to skip a couple sections, but starting in verse 7, uh, because I want to focus on, on the part that, that it talks about that I think we're going through right now. It says, and, the, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and what is the angel? The angel in the scripture just means, that word just means uh, messenger. So the messenger of the church from God to the people is the pastor. So the, he's talking to the pastors, to the angel. You guys can call me angel. If you'd like from now on, it's biblical, it's really nice. Uh, No, but it says, to the angel in the church of Philadelphia, write these things. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, he sees you. He sees us collectively. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Instead, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie indeed. And I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And then we jump all the way to the end of the letter, uh, because I'm going to touch on that verse. I believe it's 13. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, the question is, how do we make the most of the opportunities that we are given from God, both individually and collectively as a church? 
Number one, and I wanted to simplify it as much as I could. Number one, we need to realize that opportunities are a gift from God. We need to realize that opportunities are a gift from God. Starting in verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these things says he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He starts off by describing himself with three key descriptions. Jesus is basically saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm approaching you just in case you forgot. Because honestly, some of these churches had forgotten that Jesus was the man. And so he says, it's me who is holy first. This is a title for his deity, basically. He says, I'm, I'm God. Make no mistake about it. I am God who is talking to you. The word holy basically means set apart or far above. So what he's saying here is like, I'm the one that is completely so far above or set apart from anything that you are and you can even imagine. He's all powerful. That sets him infinitely apart from us. He's all wise, infinitely apart from us, all knowing, infinitely apart, all glorious, all morally perfect, etc., etc., etc. He is holy. He is far above anything we can even see and comprehend. He's the incomprehensible God. And then he says, it is he who is true. Okay? There are two words in the scripture in the Greek for true. One of them is true as opposed to lies. The other one is true as opposed to fake. So that's the word that is talking about. He says, I am the true one, the genuine one, not the counterfeit one. And this was really important to this church because as we read in the scripture, in the passage, there was a church or another gathering called the synagogue of Satan, which these were people that claimed to be Jewish Christians that were not. They were, they were not serving God. They were serving Satan himself. And they claimed to be Christians. They claimed to be leaders in the church. They tried to gain a following. And Jesus says, hey, they're counterfeit, but I'm not the counterfeit one. I am the real deal. I am Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And so he tells them this. He says, I am God. I am Jesus, I am the chief shepherd here. And then lastly, he says, I have the keys of David. Revelation 3, 7. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. This is a direct quotation from the book of Isaiah, where it says, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one open. And it's a reference to this guy they used to serve in the palace, and his whole job was to steward the treasuries of the palace. And so he would, if somebody wanted a loan, he alone had the key to go into the treasury, open the door, and take out the loan for somebody. He basically held the power and, and the resources of that kingdom. And so this is applying to Jesus. He says, I'm the one that holds the key. I bless, I take away, like that song says, right? He gives and he takes away. He's the only one that has the authority to give. And in this scenario, he's the only one that has the authority to open up opportunities to you and to me. He has the power, he has the authority, he is God Almighty. And so what does this mean? This means that he is the senior pastor. The first thing that we need to acknowledge is that he's 
the one who calls the shots in our lives and in our church. Amen? And unless we believe that, things are going to go wrong. And we're not going to have the opportunities that are provided by him. And this is a crucial step. This is a crucial step of making the most of our God-given opportunities. Because if we don't, here's what happens if you don't recognize that opportunities come from him, that he is powerful, that he has the authority for that. We will fall. Listen to me. We will fall into thinking that we are the ones in charge or that we are the ones that are making things happen. It's because of my talent. It's because of my giftedness. It's because of my hard work. Does God use that? Absolutely. But ultimately, let me tell you something. I don't care how talented you are, how creative, how hard you work, what kind of schemes you got up your sleeves. I don't care what you do. If God doesn't open a door for you, you will not be successful. The door will not open. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In, the, in other words, the confession that he had made that Jesus is the Christ, he says, on that word, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who builds the church? Jesus. He says, I will build my church. Okay? Psalm 127 Verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, what happens? They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The worst thing that could happen to us, Catalyst Church, is that we forget this. And we think that by our own efforts, we're building this church. Philippians, I mean Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So he has good works for us to do, but look at this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the good works that we are entering into, guess what? Jesus saw your life. He laid every opportunity out before you to do these good works. So he's the one who provides the opportunities. Now what kinds of opportunities did he provide us? This leads us to our second point. If you want to make the most of your God-given opportunities, you must, number one, realize that the opportunities that you have in your life are a gift from God. Amen? And then number two, you need to recognize the true opportunities before you as opposed to the false opportunities. Recognize the true opportunities before us. Revelation 3.8 says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Now, when we think of opportunities from God, a lot of times what we do is we think of opportunities like, for example, for a job interview that increases our pay, right? We're like, oh, God gave me that opportunity. Or for school, to go to school that you didn't think you could afford. Oh, that's an opportunity from God. But is that what we see here? What we've seen so far is the Lord Jesus presents himself as the one who gives the opportunities, that he's responsible for the one and open doors. And then he says, I've opened a door for you. And then... We see in the rest of the scripture what that open door means. 2 Corinthians 2.12 says this. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. This is Paul using that same phrase, open door. So what does he mean by open door? Here in this verse, Paul tells the Corinthians that when he arrived in Troas, God had opened a door for what? To preach the gospel. That was the opportunity that Paul saw God opening 
for him. In Colossians 4, verses 2-3, again, the same phrase of open doors. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door, what? For the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Here again, what is he saying? He's asking for Colossians to pray for an open door. And what he means by the open door is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. By the way, did you notice again how Paul really did believe that God was the only one that could open doors? Because right there he says, hey, would you pray that a door would be open? You can pray for open doors in your life. If you feel like God's not using you or you haven't had opportunities to share the gospel or to minister to people, it's probably because you haven't prayed for it, right? You can pray for it. Verse um, uh, Acts 14.27, again, look at this, the use of this phrase. It says, now when they had come and gathered the church together, these are the disciples, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Again, in this case, the disciples are getting together to praise God because he had made the gospel available, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. And here's what we learn. Open doors are opportunities specifically to share the gospel and minister to more people. Open doors, when you see it in the scripture, and especially in our, our passage right here to the church of Philadelphia, he's like, I've opened a door for you so your influence can increase and your fruitfulness can increase, and that's what it means. You say, Manny, but I, I really do believe that God blesses me with opportunities for my job and my family to live in a nicer home and all these things. Absolutely, and here's how it works. God loves you. And so he most definitely opens doors for new jobs and places to live and to save money. Just recently, we were, we were given an opportunity to live in a place for a year for free. I believe that was God Almighty's hand because that wouldn't have happened on my own, okay? But pay attention to this. Why does he do those things? Why does he give you opportunities at work for advancement, for more influence, for, for you to move in a different neighborhood? He does it so that you can preach the gospel to more people, so that you can invite more people into relationship with him, so that you can bear fruit. You see, a lot of times we think that our lives, it's all about comfort, right? It's all about comfort, and God blesses us when we're comfortable, and he, he's, he's maybe absent when we're not comfortable. And Does God care about your comfort? Absolutely, but not at the expense of your fruitfulness. He cares about your comfort. He wants you to be comfortable, but not at the expense of your fruitfulness. Because why? This life is temporary, you guys. I don't care how comfortable you are. It's a vapor. What you want to do is make the most of every opportunity to serve God, to, to share the gospel with people, to do the things that are really going to matter for eternity. Amen? And so, so yes, his agenda in the world is to give you an opportunity to be fruitful in this life. That's the one thing when you get to heaven, you stand before God, you're never going to regret. Your fruitfulness for God, your service to God. And so he in his goodness knows that he's giving you opportunities. He's giving you opportunities. And that's how we see in the church of Philadelphia, by the way. They would have understood that exactly. Philadelphia 
little geography lesson was located where three great countries came together, Mysia, Lycia, and Phrygia, and they all bordered at Philadelphia. The, the city was founded at, in 140 BC by the king of Pergamus, whose other name was Philadelphus, and that's how you get the name Philadelphia. And he founded the city for the very strategic reason in that location so that the, the Greek culture could spread from there to all these other countries. And so he founded this city right in the, in the crossways of all these cities because he knew that the culture would spread through there very, very easily. It was like the gateway to, to the rest of the world. And so when Jesus wrote by way of John to the church, he said, I've given you a wide open door. One of the things that, that would have come to mind for them is like, wow, you're right. We're in, this, in the crux of these three major countries where the gospel can really take root in all of these places. And so what a gift, right, that he gave them. It's like, I'm going to give you the opportunity to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. Like, wow, really? Little old Philadelphia church, that's amazing. So make the most of every opportunity. So, so in order for us to make the most of every opportunity, we need to realize, number one, that opportunities are a gift from God. Number two, we need to recognize the true opportunities that are before us. So it's not just about you. It's not just about your comfort. It's not just about your advancement. It's not just about your schooling. It's not just about your relationship. It's about all those things so that you can preach the gospel. And then number three... We need to respond to opportunities however they come. Respond to opportunities however they, can, they come. The fact of the matter is when you're talking about opportunities, they are not always presented in a beautiful box wrapped nicely with a bow, some glitter on top, and some flowers sticking out. It's not always beautiful and pretty like that. In fact, most of the opportunities that come your way if not all of them, will come under some sort of difficult, hard scenario. Can I get an amen? Look at the church in Philadelphia. It says, for you have little strength. Wow, thanks, Jesus. But he says, I see you. I know you have little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those in the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. What is Jesus saying and what does it say to us? He tells them, I know you have little strength. I don't know what they were going through. All I know is that they had little strength. Maybe they were experiencing difficulties like we just prayed about in our church. Maybe they were small, like Catalyst Church. Maybe they'd been through the ringer. They'd been beaten, beaten up in, in all kinds of areas of life. Maybe they had low finances. I don't know what it was. Whatever it is, Jesus says, hey, I see you. I see you, and you have little strength. And then notice how he says, that's the reason I'm giving you this opportunity. He says, I've given you an opportunity for you have little strength. It means the reason I'm giving you this opportunity is because you have little strength. What? Here's, the, here's a great point for you to keep in your mind when you're thinking about serving God. Your weakness does not disqualify you from great opportunities for God. In fact, it strangely qualifies you. 
Your weakness does not disqualify you from serving God greatly. In fact, it qualifies you. Why? Because this is how God works. He uses the weak to lead the strong, like the verse says, right? He uses the simple and foolish things, as it says in Romans, to confound the wise. If God is using you greatly, don't get a big head. It's probably because you, you're, 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 you know, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. But that's a good thing. Praise God, you know? Because sometimes we, we feel like we have to be this rock star of a person to be used by God. And right here he says, you have little strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you with a, one of the greatest opportunities that we see any church receive in the scripture. I'm going to give you one of the greatest opportunities because you're weak. You know what happens when you're weak? You depend on God. And then when you are weak and depending on God, guess what? He is strong through you. I'd rather have God in all my weakness than all my strength and no God. So Catalyst, are you feeling weak? Incapable? Get ready. God's going to use you. Amen? The other thing that, that he says is, is you have not, I'm going to bless you with great opportunities because you're weak, but also because you haven't denied my name. And so what this means is that they had been burdened by the pressures and temptations to deny his name. You can't not deny Jesus if you never have an opportunity to deny Jesus. Does that make sense? So they'd been tempted. They'd been pressured to deny Jesus, and they stayed faithful. So they're under, under some pressure. They're under hardship. And then they have adversaries, right? The synagogue of Satan, it's opposing them. It's persecuting them. And so the, the church in Philadelphia was in the middle of some really hard circumstances. But that's exactly where the Lord comes in and says, okay, you got an opportunity here. So we need to understand that when, when we go through hardships, oftentimes those are our best times to serve God. Those are our greatest opportunities to do something for the Lord. Most people think that God-given opportunities automatically means better circumstances. Amen? I mean, I've, I've been in danger of that lie, but it's not. In order to make the most, we need to understand that, hey, they're going to come, and oftentimes they're going to come through difficult situations. And I look at the opportunities that we have at Catalyst. That's the very thing. I mean, I feel like, man, are, are you sure, Lord, right now? This is when you want to do all these things? I mean, our people are struggling and our people are tapped out and everything. But, but God says, you know what? That's when I'm going to use you. So just know that in the midst of what God is doing in your life, there, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be rosy. In fact, it might be a really bad time for you, right? You might be like, Lord, can you just check in with me in a month from now? That would be a better time for this opportunity. You know, but there's a lot of things that'll keep us. Fear, right? Fear will keep you from opportunities. So, so if you're gonna make the most of every opportunity that God gives you, you need to understand that sometimes there's gonna be things that cause fear. Uh, maybe your comfort is at stake, and you say, "Man, Lord, I, I don't really want to be uncomfortable." Whenever God gives you an opportunity, and when he, whenever He wants to use you, He it's gonna more than likely take you out of your comfort zone. Sometimes we miss opportunities because we don't recognize them as opportunities. How many of you guys know that, that opportunities sometimes are disguised as problems? Amen? I remember uh, one couple in our church, um, 
we, we were talking because they were having some marriage problems. In the middle of their, their hardest time, both the husband and the wife get laid off from their jobs. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, how, how could you let this happen? This is just like one thing on top of the other. The worst is getting worse. Several months later, when the dust all settled, they came back to me and they said, you know what? Losing our jobs was, uh, we thought it was going to compound our problem, but it actually helped us come back together. It's like, why? Well, because we had all this time together. We had to work on, on our problems, right? It's like, I, I, and, but they said, I really see that as God's opportunity for us to work on our marriage, right? Like, that's amazing. God, God sometimes brings about things, disgu- opportunities disguised as problems. I remember when we were uh, meeting on 16th Street, one of the challenges we had was we had a lot of kids. Our people love to multiply and be fruitful. And so we had a lot of kids, right, Angela? And uh, so, so anyway, the kids area, we had outgrown it. Uh, in order for people to fellowship, they had to go get their kids and bring them down to where the service was happening. The only problem is that we were right on a busy street. So sometimes, you know, you're talking and, and hey, where, where'd Levi go? And he's out on 16th Street talking to some homeless dude, right? Like, like, that's not good. And so we're like, man, we have so many problems, but it's so hard to find things in downtown San Diego, what are we going to do? Well, that led to prayer and us finding this place. You know, out of a problem came this place where we have seen literally hundreds of people come to know Jesus. We've been able to minister to the school. We've grown here. It's been an amazing thing. But out of problem, sometimes will come some of your greatest opportunities. And so don't turn off that part of you that says, okay, how can I serve God in this, in this season? Sometimes we're gonna, we miss opportunities because opportunities are time-sensitive. How many of you guys know that open doors don't, don't stay open forever all the time? There's been so many things, and I wish I could share with you all the opportunities that I missed that I regret to this day because I didn't have the boldness, I didn't have the courage to take them. Um, sometimes we miss opportunities because they are heavily opposed. This is one that the church in Philadelphia had, and, and Paul had in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9. Uh, it says this, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So he's having this ministry in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. Why? For a great and effective door has been opened to me. But then look at how it ends. And there are many adversaries. Wait a minute. Open door, adversaries. Yes. When God opens a door, let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of opposition, so you need to be ready. And opposition doesn't mean that you're not in God's will. Sometimes opposition means that you're right in the middle of God's will because Satan's attacking you. You're a threat. You trace the church, in fact, in the book of Acts, every major advancement of the gospel, every opportunity to share the gospel was accompanied by major opposition. So sometimes... We miss opportunities, but in order to not miss opportunities, we must do those three things that we talked about. Realize, number one, that opportunities are a gift from God. Number two, recognize the true opportunities that are before you and differentiate between the true and the false opportunities or the half opportunities. And then the third one is respond to opportunities however they may come. They may come come wrapped up in a nice little bow like, wow, you're giving this to me, that's awesome. Or they may come through hardship. So what do we do? I believe, church, that God has given us a great opportunity. He has gifted us. And, and I know that change and, and, and this kind of transition might cause a little bit of anxiety for some of you. you. You don't like change. You like where you know everything's the way you've known it here. But make no mistake. I read a quote that when God gives us an opportunity, he's basically doing this. He's invading 
are mundane and ordinary in order to lead us into the miraculous and extraordinary. When we go with God and the opportunities that he gives, no matter how scary, no matter how hard it might be, no matter how out of our comfort zone we are, he, we get to trade the ordinary and mundane for the extraordinary and miraculous of God. And I want all of us to experience this. That's why we need to submit our hearts and ready ourselves for whatever God might have. Amen? So what do we do? The last verse, Revelation 3.13, in this, in this particular letter, it says this, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. How many of you guys have ears? Anybody? All right, everybody has ears. Good. If you have ears to hear, you must, it says, listen and understand. That's our next step, church. We must seek to listen and understand. One of the temptations whenever there's change is to throw out our opinions really quickly. This is what I think. This is what I feel right No, 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 no. The first thing we need to do, listen and understand what the Spirit is doing. Because frankly, what the Spirit does is oftentimes not the same things that we would do. Can I get an amen? It's, sometimes he does counterintuitive things. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes they're the opposite of what we think. And so we need to be in tune and seek to listen to his Spirit and understand. How do we do that? We need to fast and we need to pray, church. We need to fast and we need to pray. I'm calling for all of us, if you're able to, to fast and to pray this week so that we might listen and we might understand what God is doing in our midst because he's obviously moving, but it's confusing. God, we were going to Lemon Grove, and all of a sudden you throw this at the last minute. Why didn't you reverse the order or, you know, and, and we need to listen. What are you doing here? <coughs> so would you fast and would you pray? This is your church, guys. This is your church. It isn't about me. It isn't about Jen. In fact, one of the beautiful things that I love about this church is that when Jen and I were gone for basically a month straight, this church still kept going. What? Come on now. That means because, you, you know what that means to me? It means that you have taken ownership of this church. And this isn't a one-person church. This is about the people. All of you have taken ownership and leadership, and this is your church. And I love that. If something would happen to me, I know this church would continue and probably flourish. God has set up this church for something really special. And so I want to encourage all of you to take that flag and to say, I'm taking ownership of what happens at Catalyst Church. And the first step in taking ownership is to fast and to pray. And here's, here's just a couple guides. Number one, pray for two things, wisdom and courage. Wisdom and courage. We need to know where God is leading and it needs to be absolutely clear to us. And then when he makes it clear, we need the courage to take a step in that direction. Sometimes, I got, I got to tell you, where God leads is a little scary. But he always promises to provide. So we need wisdom 
and courage. And then, I know that you guys have questions and you have thoughts and you have opinions. Do the hard work of laying those before God first before you talk to anybody else. Okay? So lay all your thoughts, your ideas, your concerns at the Lord's feet during this week when you're fasting. I'm thinking about this, God. You don't need to talk to me first. You need to talk to the Lord first. And I really believe that he's going to bring unity. Pray for unity. And then after we're, we're all done seeking the Lord, praying, fasting, we're going to give you an opportunity to share your thoughts and, and for you to be heard. Because we believe that God is working in our entire midst, and this is, this is a big decision that affects all of us. So we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to speak and to be heard. A very specific request uh, that I almost forgot to mention is that this Tuesday where the elders um, are meeting with the transition team of Paradise Hills just to ask questions because when somebody gives you a building, it's not always a blessing. How many of you guys know that? Okay. <laughs> it could have a lot of deferred maintenance. It could have debt, all these things. And so we need to find out. We need to be good stewards. And so we're just going to go find out. We we're going to ask them all these questions. They're going to ask us questions. And so hopefully maybe God reveals something there that, that makes his will known. So be praying for that. It's Tuesday at 5 p.m. Um, this, this Tuesday. Other than that, I believe that God is going to do something amazing. And it's a great, great joy to be able to do this together with you, family. So thank you for letting me uh, share. And uh, let's pray and begin our uh, time of fasting together with this prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us, how it encourages us, how it sharpens us, and, and it exposes us to who you are and your truth. And we can literally know who you are by your word. You've written it to us out of, out of love so that we can know you and have a relationship with you. Lord God, and that's the, that's the goal. And uh, I thank you for situations like this where we are uh, caused, caused to come to you because we don't know everything and we don't know what the best thing is and we don't know how to go about everything. And, and yet, I thank you for that because it's our limit, limited understanding, our limitations that cause us to turn to a limitless God. And that's what we come to you for, for your wisdom, for your direction. I thank you for this church and how it's, I believe it's a healthy church. I believe it's a church that honors and glorifies you. And, um, and I know that you are opening up doors so that we can continue to further your cause and your kingdom. It's not about us primarily. It's about you and your kingdom. And just thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us to serve. I pray, Father, that everyone, as they seek you and as they... Uh, plead um, for our church and for you to reveal your will uh, that they would just have an, an amazing experience with you, that you speak to them, that you comfort them, that you guide them. And, and perhaps out of this time of fasting, some people would say, you know what, God's not just calling me to fast and pray, he's calling me to help. How can I help? I want to be a part of this. I want to do more. I want to give more. I want to uh, serve more. And, and I pray, Father, that you would call us all to, to be people um, that are serving in the midst of this opportunity. I don't want one person left behind. I don't want one person to sit on the sidelines. It's, it's too exciting and glorious to be a part of your good work. 
And so involve us all and uh, guide us and protect us from all the things that, 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 that might interfere with us taking advantage of, of this great opportunity that you have, like we talked about fear and, and uh, bad circumstances and opposition, all those things, Father. Protect us from, um, from being weak and uh, giving in to those things. Thank you for Catalyst Church, and thank you for the family that we've become under your leadership. We continue to ask for your blessing, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Onward and forward. Let's all stand up, guys. Today's message was recorded at Catalyst Church San Diego. For more information on Catalyst Church, and to find out ways to connect with us, visit our website at catalystchurchsd.org. We look forward to fellowshipping with you.